I had only just purchased a Rolls Royce, which was £250,000. One of my friends, he got jealous and he started plotting against me. He basically kidnapped me at the time at gunpoint. The police tracked my iPhone, my location of where I was at the time. And I was tied up, my hands were tied up. Uh, I had two guns to my head. Uh, one guy was drunk and he had to grind. I tried to want to chop my fingers. They took £10,000 in cash off me at the time. My, my Rolls Royce they had at the time and they took my watches. I knocked on the door and get dragged out of my bed and with guns and everything, saying like, you know what, you're under arrest. This investigation took two years. I got interviewed nine times, almost two years into my investigation. I'm driving my Ferrari and I get stopped. Nine or ten officers stopped me to come to seize that one Ferrari off me. He takes my car, saying suspected stolen. Next day, they go and crush the car. I make a case against the police officer and I sue him. So when he realizes he's in deep water now, I'm taking legal action against him. He knew he's in deep shits. So what he does, he manually overrides the CPS decision and says no further action. And he charges me. They remanded me into custody. So I've got no solicitor, I've got no barrister, and I've got no case papers. Now I eventually got bail, caught the net first business class flight out, and uh, I fucking flew off to Dubai, mate. If I remained in the UK, they would have found me and probably shot me. So I thought the safest place to be and the safest country to be is Dubai. That's, that's where I am today, mate. Four and a half years later, I'm fighting for my justice and I've succeeded in many ways since I've been away. There's two ways about it. Either lie in bed and cry and sob about it and rely on somebody else to come pick me up or either get up and say, you know what, I'm going to go through a brick wall. I'm going to go through whatever obstacles are coming. And that's, I refuse to give up. Guys, welcome back to Karen TV. Today, delighted to have an amazing guest uh, with us, um, someone who's been fighting justice for over four years um, away from home. He's having to, have to leave his home to be in, well, he's in Dubai, where he can actually fight justice properly rather than from within a prison cell or what might have been. Um, so today, I'm delighted to have uh, Zaid Khan with us. Zaid, thank you very much for the opportunity, brother. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much, my friend. I want to first thank yourself for giving me this opportunity to you know, share my awareness for myself and everybody else who's, who's in a similar situation because not everyone has a voice and I feel like I've got the opportunity to you know, help myself and I'll help a lot of people who are in a similar situation. So I'd like to thank you for giving me this platform to you know, share my awareness. Well, it's, it's, my, it's my pleasure, my friend. Um, so obviously you've got an absolutely insane story, been on an insane journey, but I think it's only right that we go back and go briefly through your childhood up until the current point. Um, and so Zay, tell us about a little bit about your childhood, if possible, where you were brought up and I was born in the, a bit of family settings. I was born in the Midlands and, uh, you know, since then we've remained in Birmingham. Uh, we come from a, a Pakistani background. My parents originate from Pakistan and uh, they migrated to the United Kingdom and they've been in the in, in UK ever since. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we, we were born as a poor family background. We weren't no rich spoon fed children. We had to, uh, you know, have it the hard way. Uh, so then they, you know, I was schooled by my father and uh, my father has been my mentor. And I, I really appreciate what my father has taught me uh, from a young age. And uh, I cannot be more grateful 
absolutely. And so it was a real happy childhood, was it? Uh, my family's loving and uh, yeah, we had a fantastic childhood and upbringing, you know, even though we was from a poor family background, we were never sh like, you know, show off anything, whatever we wanted, our parents provided for us. So I think they am so grateful for that. Absolutely. And so did you do well at school, Said? Uh, in, in school, I had, uh, I, I was a clever kid in school and even in college, I'd got four A-levels. And after my A-levels, I had a car accident and uh, I had to pull out due to my injuries I had from my accident. And since then, I just went, you know, followed my father's footsteps and went into business. And my father had some uh, several businesses at the time, and I just put more interest in, you know, doing practical work rather than going to a university. And uh, that's what it was. That's what gave me the mindset of having uh, having several businesses and being successful. All thanks to my father. Absolutely. So you did very well at a young age. Was this the businesses you had? Were they were your father's businesses that you worked within, or did you set up your own businesses? Uh, originally, I started off with my father. I was, I was helping my father on the weekends when I was in school and college. Then eventually, when I pulled out from college, I was helping my father full time. Uh, I didn't really understand the, the, the framework at the time. But, you know, when you put in the deep end, which I appreciate, uh, you learn a lot more practical than what you could do written. And it's all about your mindset, my friend. And my mindset has always been that if you're going to do something, you have to be focused and you have to, you know, have a goal and set a goal. And my bar, my level of my goals have always been sky high. I never believed in settling for something less. I've always set a high challenge and uh, it's how I've always been. And I always believed in myself. And I thought, you know, if I, you know, in everything in life, my friend, if you don't believe in yourself, you lost the battle. So you have to be able to believe in yourself for you to achieve anything in life. Absolutely. And so what businesses were you in then, Zaid? Uh, my father originally had a carpet warehouse and then he expanded it into a furniture and carpets together. And he, he's, he's had that for many, many years. And after I pulled that from my father and I, I had certain knowledge about businesses, I opened several businesses myself. I opened a, a beauty salon. Uh, for my partner at the time, which has been a successful business. And uh, that's still currently, she's doing really, really well with that. And, you know, credit given to her, she's put all the, all, all, all the efforts where yeah. they need to be going in. And uh, after that, I've had a limousine company. I had a car hire company, a chauffeur company, where, which was based in London, where I had the contract for Alan Sugar, Cheryl Cole, uh, all the apprentices. Uh, is one of the largest based companies in London at the time. Uh, I had several cars. Uh, I had that, that which, which was also successful. And uh, after that, I've had a tyre garage, which was the biggest tyre garage in the Midlands. So whatever I'd done, I believed in being the best and the biggest. And uh, I put my heart and effort into it. And my mindset has always been that we have to do this correctly and do it. So you win from it. And uh, that's how I've always been, my friend. And... At the end, I, I recommend anyone else doing the same, basically be the same. Absolutely. And so had, did you get in any trouble growing up at all or any trouble with the police or any stuff like this, like up at these points of growing up or not really? You know, my, my, you know, my, my first ever time I got in trouble with the police, I was generally an innocent man. I was actually convicted for a small petty crime and uh, I actually never done it. 
I had my teachers saying that I was in school at the time, so it can't I can't have been at two places at the time. But I put my trust into my solicitor at the time, and I thought I've got a solicitor, mate, and I, I'm, I'm 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 the safest man in the world. He would protect me. But the knowledge I have about solicitors now is different to what I had 20 years ago. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I got convicted. I got a slap on the wrist for that, but uh, I got convicted due to the negligence of my solicitor at the time who did not fairly, uh, basically, you know, do his job properly. And he basically, at that time, went for the financial gains for himself and threw me under the bus, which I didn't understand the framework at the time. Uh, that the, the solicitors and the barristers, their basically loyalty is to the crown. Obviously, you don't know these things unless you start studying and looking into them. Which coming years on now, I know I know it like a book. I know I you know I know everything about the law and the the solicitors and the barristers how they operate. So that was my first conviction, and ever since then, I've been a clean man. I've just been into businesses, and uh, you know I've always been into making money. And uh, that's what my mindset is. I, I ain't got no bad habits. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't gamble. I, I don't. I, I ain't got any bad habits apart from just working hard and you know trying to achieve your goals and making money and making sure my family living a happy, happy, nice life. Because I didn't want my children or my family to go through the poverty that we went through when we was younger. Because we had it hard. You know, we we weren't spoon fed children. If we wanted something, we had to go and work for it. And uh, even if it meant that it took a year get into what, what we wanted. Uh, so I just want to make sure that my children don't have that and make sure that they appreciate what they're getting now for it. So, but unfortunately, my last five years have been a roller coaster, you know, which I had to handle all of myself. Mm. And so um, going back slightly, obviously, like you said, you, you were very successful and congratulations, um, all, all these businesses and entrepreneurship. Um, and you're able to get nice house, cars, and all this sort of stuff, weren't you? Um, uh, mate, you know, my, you know, my, my only hobby was nice house and a nice car, and uh, and a nice family, which I was blessed to have anyway, even without the money. But uh, I also had hobbies like flying planes, so I, you know, I started basically taking flying lessons, and I, I graduated as my PPL, uh, my pilot's license. This was many years ago. I just done that as a as a hobby, which I would have continued had I not been in the situation I'm in now. Uh, so. I've been flying in Dubai, as you can see, you've probably seen a video on social yeah. media when I was flying over Dubai. Awesome. And um, talk to me about any problems that sort of came along with being massively successful at a young age. Was there much jealousy among your peers or anything like this? Wasn't there an instant where you got... You know, the, my biggest fall, I would say, was when I come into the press, into the limelight with the media. Uh, they love to take you up and then they drop, they're very, very fast to drop in you as well. Uh, that's when I noticed a lot of jealousy because a lot of the stuff I had before, nobody kind of knew that I had. So there was no jealousy there. Nobody kind of knew that what cars I had apart from my neighbours or what house I was living in till it come into the news. And uh, only then it's like you realise your own people are the ones that are plotting against you. And I've, I've, I've seen a lot of that in my last five years where your own people who are fed who I've chilled with, who I've hung about with, gone on holidays with, lived with, were the same people, nice to your face and really backstabbing you because they don't like... The, 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 the thing is, everybody wants you to win, but nobody wants you to be better than them. And yeah. the people around you, if they're toxic like that, you need to get rid of them. 
Yeah. You need to just make just avoid them at all costs. Hundred percent. Yeah. And you, so, you did you, did you have any sort of problems where people would be asking you to borrow money when they realised how wealthy you were? Or did they have people trying to steal off you and stuff? This was prior to obviously having to come out to Dubai. Yeah, you, you know, at one point I, I used to basically, you know, I, I wasn't an outgoing guy. I don't like going clubbing. I don't like, you know, hanging about with any people who are smoking or drinking. It's not my cup of tea. I, I, my friends are all businessmen and uh, basically successful in many ways, uh, whether they're in UK or whether they're overseas. And, uh, you know, I, I basically respect no matter who you are, what you're doing, as long as you're doing some type of hustling, you're basically working and basically grafting and putting your time and effort into it. I respect that. So then they, you know, whatever you are, I, and I, I support whoever, whoever does that. But it came a time that I was, I was basically hanging about with like four or five people. You know, my circle is small. I know millions of people, but I will pick and choose who's going to be around me and who I see or who I speak to. And, uh, there was a time that I was hanging about with a family friend of mine at the time. I had only just purchased a Rolls Royce, which was £250,000. And uh, it was cash paid. And uh, I was believing I was in Miami when I purchased it. I was on holiday and I purchased it over the phone. And when I come back, I went and collected it. And one of my friends who was a lot older than me. And I know fairness, I respected him at the time due to the age and everything. I was brought up to respect my olders. He got jealous and he started plotting against me and he basically succeeded in kidnapping me and tried to take my assets and my Rolls Royce off me at the time by luring in me into a trap by calling me on a dinner, uh, which we I attended with my car a day after I purchased it. And uh, he basically kidnapped me at the time at gunpoint, tried to shoot me with four or five people of friends from the team, but they tied me up. And, yeah, it was in, it's in the papers. I so see the headline of it, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, basically, you know, I was training to be a pilot at the time as well. And they never liked it. He used to come into my house, which I, you know, I, I've got a beautiful house with a swimming pool in there and everything. Because at the end of the day, I spend most of my time at home. I've got an indoor cinema, jacuzzi cinema, and, and an indoor pool. So, you know, I invited them, gave them the respect. We were eating from the same plate. But, you know, this dirtiness doesn't really last, does it? You know, at the end of the day, you can take something of somebody, but you know it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't last. You could. I'd rather earn something that will last you a lot longer than where you just taking something of somebody. Hundred uh, percent. Live, live the high life for a couple of days, but it's not yours. You never. You will never sleep knowing the fact that you've earned for it. I. I'd rather go buy something for ten pound, but knowing that I've earned for this and it's mine, and I can sleep in peace. But these guys, you know, they tried it and their attempt failed, uh, where they got caught red-handed. I didn't turn up at home. My wife at the time was pregnant about, I think, eight months at the time. Uh, she was concerned. So she basically tipped off the police that my, my husband hasn't come home. And uh, what what triggered everything off? They wanted my watches. I had a collection of watches at home, all my Rolexes. So what he, the guy who kidnapped me, told me to phone home to tell my family to put my watches out in the bag at, at like three o'clock in the morning. And my family knew that I would never ever ask for my watches at 3 a.m. So they were a bit concerned and there, there was alarm bells ringing at the time. So the guy who was sent to collect my watches, he turned up with the balaclava. And when he turned up with the balaclava, right, my family straight away knew 
that's something there, right? No one's not, my friend is not going to come to my house on my drive gated premises with a balaclava on. So they, that's when they thought, you know what, it's about time that we need to inform the authorities to say, look, yeah. he ain't come on. This is what's happened. The police tracked my iPhone, my location of where I was at the time. And I was tied up. My hands were tied up. Uh, I had two guns to my head. Uh, one guy was drunk and he had a grind. They tried to want to chop my fingers. Uh, they took £10,000 in cash off me at the time. And my, my Rolls Royce they had at the time. And they took my watches. Uh, I, I didn't know whether I was going to come out alive at the time. And so a miracle happened. Right, usually I was at the time and I was thinking normally my wife's phoning me every hour saying, you ain't come on, where are you? And on that specific day, my phone ain't ringing. And I'm like thinking, what's going on today? I need you and you're not even ringing me. But the police had told her not to phone me because they were monitoring my phone of my location where I was. Yeah. And uh, they managed to find where I was and the guys got caught red-handed. Thank God. And yeah, so there's nothing to do with me what happened after that. But they got they 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 got tucked away for a very long time, but which I basically played my part in whatsoever. Uh, they got caught red-handed at the time, so that was that. But it just goes to show, mate, your success does bring a lot of hate and a lot of greed, and uh, you create a lot of a lot of enemies as well. Absolutely. And so then, talk to me about when. Um, obviously, that was a horrific. <laughs> incident. Talk to me about when sort of things started going wrong, and which led to you obviously having to flee the country. So talk to me about the. Was there a number, alleged number plate fraud they, the police said to you? You know, it's, it's, it's funny how I got convicted for this number plate fraud. I purchased a, a number plate from a legitimate uh, number plate trader, right? This person purchased, sells me a number plate, which I've owned. I can't remember now. It's been a long time for how long I've owned it for. But it was on, I, was, I was a legitimate owner on there until I get a door knock on the door and get dragged out of my bed and with guns and everything saying like you know you're under arrest <coughs> yeah so that's where my uh, investigation started this was in 2016 believe it or not yep. uh, i got interviewed nine times over a period of <coughs> two years which i found quite ridiculous and bizarre because it doesn't take that long so i come to a point i was getting really frustrated and pissed off i was telling them either fucking charge me or either let me go because the officer that was in charge of my case was DC Rob Piper. This guy is a fucking mole, right? This guy, he, he was the head of pedophiles. He basically stepped down from his position. So I started giving him a hard time, saying to him in interviews, I said, forget you interviewing me. I want to know why have you stepped down from your position? Have you been kidding me? So he never liked it that I was basically putting you on him. So he's become personal with me. And I'm still curious to know why he stepped down from his high-ranking position from being head of pedophiles and he's ranked himself down. What's going on behind the scenes, which we don't know of. A lot of these police are kiddie fiddlers. A lot of them are. They are good, some good apples in the force, but majority of them will put a blind eye to all the corruption that we are facing, which makes them just as bad. So... This investigation took two years. I got interviewed nine times, where in all nine occasions, the prosecution says NFA, insufficient evidence. So he's getting pissed off. He's probably getting told off by superiors that, look, what's going on, right? You either need to charge him or not charge him. So at this moment, now I'm driving my Ferrari. 
and uh, he was my investigation pending. He was well aware of my Ferrari at the beginning of my investigation. And now almost two years into my investigation, I'm driving my Ferrari and I get stopped. And there's a video on social media where about nine or 10 officers stopped me to come to seize that one Ferrari of me. We are on protest and saying, I've got insurance. The car's fucking mine. What the fuck are you doing taking my car? Look how many officers here. Did you come take my car? One person. This is how many officers they need to come take one car off me, right? Unlawfully. Got insurance on it. I've got tax and I'm not and they all admit down camera. DC Piper, right? He's going to get arrested. DC Piper, he's going to get arrested. No, no, hold on. Let him know that DC Piper is going to get arrested. I heard a phone call saying that he's not saying that the car's stolen. They're saying 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 the they weren't having any of it. They were on the radio with DC Piper and they took my car. So this is where everything comes to a twist and a turn. He takes my car, saying suspected stolen. Turned out to be the car was not stolen. Clearly, nobody's reported a Ferrari stolen. So of course, I'm the fucking owner on the car. Yeah. And uh, basically then, he, he kept making excuses, saying, I'll give you the car back today, tomorrow, today, tomorrow, eventually making a ex-party application to the court, removing that Ferrari of a restraining order. A restraining order is when basically police put your property under restraint so it protects it from me from selling it. If I do sell it, the money goes to the crowd. Yep. So they were in a win-win situation anyway. If I got convicted for a crime and they wanted money off me, they had my assets under restraining order. What happened then is basically they made an ex-party application to the court, to the judge, saying they're returning the car back to me, removing it from the court order. So the judge, thinking it's in favour for myself, removes it ex-party. Next day, they go and crush the car. It was so-called the same next day. But really, it was a couple of days after. They tampered with the video date. Yeah. But they're saying it's next day. But it, nevertheless, it was crushed. <laughs> After crushing it, they tell me we've destroyed the car. So at that moment of time, I'm still pending investigation for my fraud investigation, and now they destroyed my car. But on the same day, the prosecution replied back insufficient evidence and NFA against me on all the charges that I was facing. But I make a case against the police officer and I sue him. So when he realizes he's in deep water now, I'm taking legal action against him to yeah. why my car was unlawfully destroyed, and most importantly. Why was we not informed about the court hearing? They made ex party and removed my car from the court order without notification to myself and my legal team. He knew he was in deep shits. So what he does, he manually overrides the CPS decision. It says no further action. And he charges me and sends me a charging post to the post. 
So now I've got my case against them with the Ferrari and he's made this false fucking bullshit case against fraud, against myself, running parallel to each other. So I'm being told, I'm the one prosecuting you. So you need to, I, I want to know my outcome of my Ferrari before the outcome of your uh, bogus investigation. Yep. So I was told they're gonna combine them together and run them together in trial. This is where I basically got fell for the trap because the solicitors at the time, there was my co- me and my co-defendants, there was about eight, nine of us. And this was a, like a, it, it's like 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 a 1.52 million pound case, right, in, in total. So basically the solicitors, it's a big paycheck for them. The longer it goes for them, the more money they make, the more page counts they are, the more money they make. I didn't know this at the time. So what? But the solicitor was saying, I don't worry about it. We'll take it to day one in trial and we'll make a dismissal application. I believed them. Just how millions of other people are going to believe the solicitors, thinking, you know, my solicitors are acting in fact. They're basically on my side, but little did I know their loyalty belongs to the court. And they clearly say that, that their duty and their loyalty is to the court and not to your defendant and not to the client which is quite bizarre and unfair, I say. Uh, but anyway, we've gone to trial. On my first day of trial, I get told that the Ferrari can't be bought in this case. You have to do it separately as a civil case. I go, well, if that's the case, put my trial on hold. Let me do the civil case because the same officer involved. If he gets convicted from a civil case, surely it's going to put an impact of his credibility before the jury. He cannot be the officer in my case. I put a complaint against him, right? So either he needs to set him aside get another officer to take and replace him. Yep. The, the judge won't have any mate. The judge goes, mate, it's going to continue. The trial's going to continue. And we're going to continue without using your Ferrari. Your Ferrari can't be put before the jury. They knew it's going to paint a very bad picture of the officer. So they tried me in without, in absence of my evidence of the Ferrari, told the jury very one-sided information. On the other hand, they tell the jury, I parked the Ferrari outside the court case, outside Crown Court on the payment, being cocky. Right, taking the piss, abusing the powers, and parked it outside the Crown Court, misleading the jury. They didn't tell them the full picture. Yes, I did park my Ferrari outside Crown Court, but I parked it at closing hours. Courts were closed. I come to post a document. The CCTV shows that, but they painted the picture in the press. If you see it, Mr. Khan parks his millionaire Ferrari outside Crown Court. Yes, but if people reading that paper can only read what they're reading. Right? They're, not, they're not being told the full picture of how and what time I parked it. It's not illegal to park it at closing hours. There's nobody there. So surely, why am I going to park it 10 minutes down the road when I've come to post a letter which should have been given to the courts? So And the courts were closed anyway at the time. But they misled the jury by painting a false picture to them and not allowing me to tell the jury the truth of what's actually happened with the car. And the trial proceeded in that manner. And uh, then... Halfway through my trial, my legal team abandons me, leaves me unrepresented. Uh, basically, no fault of my own, of course. And uh, after that point onwards, it just went, mate, fucking tits up. Uh, I was left with no papers. I was told to prosecute and defend myself without a single piece of paper. Not even an experienced counsel can do this without documentation. You would need paperwork to conduct your own case. I had nothing. And making it worse, they reminded me into custody. So I've got no solicitor, I've got no barrister, and I've got no case papers. And I'm in custody at the time. And I'm being told to represent myself. 
uh, it was impossible for me to do my friend. My literally my hands were tied, my arms were tied, and I had a blindfold on my fucking eyes. How can you possibly defend yourself? Uh, which you know, I'm a fighter, and I'm not gonna give up. I tried my best to do at my best of my abilities at the time. I didn't have no expertise in law. I didn't know where to start from, my friend. I had other experienced counsel and my co-defendants who were going against me to get themselves out of it because they were told, like, you got to do this to basically get yourself out of it. And uh, they were led into a trap as well. Uh, so I was fighting against my own co-defendants. I had six, seven experienced counsels cross-examining me, prosecution. had two experienced QC at the time and, uh, and a junior against me. So then they are now, you can just imagine the picture painted before the jury. I'm a guy in custody, coming from the docks in handcuffs, right? Behind a closed glass screen, talking to the jury from a little gap, literally shouting from a little gap. How am I gonna fairly represent myself? And most importantly, I got no case papers. How was I gonna basically cross-examine any witnesses that were gonna come? And I was told I'm clever enough. I should do it from memory. It's quite bizarre. The prosecution made some really unfair comments at the time, uh, very biased and uh, very prejudiced to my conviction. And uh, this is where I am. I Now I eventually got bail after four weeks when the judge realized that the investigation, that the, basically the reason for why he remanded me into custody was based on false information. So he releases me and apologizes to me. So by this time, damage is done. I lost four weeks at my 10-week trial without case papers, without, without my solicitor, without my barrister, representing myself in custody. And then four weeks later, the fucking judge tells me, I'm sorry, Mr. Khan, I will now bail you back out, unconditional bail, because I, I reminded you in custody of false reasons and you should not have been where you are. But now the damage is done. So I thought to myself, what do I do here, mate? I just saw the opportunity got the net first business class flight out and uh, fucking flew off to Dubai, mate. So they didn't I take went. your passport then? Nah, because I wasn't flight risk. Uh, they knew I had too much to lose in UK. My family was there, businesses were there, my cars were there. Uh, I weren't going to go, but I, I, you know, I, I had to think about this in a split decision. I thought to myself, what do I do? If I remained in the UK, they would have found me and probably shot me. Yeah. Probably planted a gun in my pocket and said, oh, we found a gun on him. And, you know, just so I, I don't have a voice left no more. So I thought the safest place to be and the safest country to be was Dubai. And all, 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 all credit given to Dubai. It's one of the best cities in the world. Not one of the best. It is the best cities in the world, my friend. Uh, Tax-free. Yeah. The best, best government you can ever get. The government loves its people. And most importantly, mate, you're safe you can basically leave anything lying about and nobody will touch it. And the best opportunity I had, I was managed to and able to fight my case from sitting from Dubai. Yeah. And uh, that's that's where I am today, mate. Four and a half years later, I'm fighting for my justice and I've succeeded in many ways since I've been away. The British authorities, have they put pressure on the United Arab Emirates authorities to extradite you or anything like this during these times? Or? You know, nobody knows this. This is the first... This information is coming out in the public. They put me in the papers. I say, we've, we've caught Mr. Khan and we're going to extradite him, which is absolutely true. They located me and uh, they basically, the, 
Dubai police blocked me off. Uh, I was driving on Sheikh Zayed Road and they blocked me off. Believe it or not, I was going to a Migos concert. I was invited as a VIP guest yeah. and uh, they blocked me off on the Sheikh Zayed Road and uh, they took me into custody and I didn't see daylight for three months. They were going to extradite me back. They got the U UK police. I've got an extradition request and we're going to extradite you to UK. At that moment, I'm not going to lie, I thought, game over. But that's when I thought to myself, I'm not a guy that gives up so easily. I'm going to fight this to my last breath. And yep. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm innocent. And I'm not going to just walk off this battlefield just like that. Uh, so although I was in custody in Dubai, they never had me in a jail. They had me in a holding cell, which it, it's not so pleasant, you know, because they don't want you to stay there. They want you to agree and consent to go yep. back. I had a phone call, which I was basically given a phone call, uh, a phone to answer the call. Is somebody from the UK authorities on the phone telling me we'll get you a private flight, I would assume a private jet, and we'll get you back in the next 48 hours if you agree and consent. Uh, I told them just fuck you and I put the phone down. Yeah, That's all I said to them. I didn't want to know. Uh, and I basically challenged my extradition in Dubai and all credit given and all due respect given to the Dubai authorities, they treated me very fairly. And, uh, you know, I cannot complain or fault them in any way. I was given the opportunity to, to try my case in Dubai courts before a judge, produce my evidence to say my extradition is not fair, it's illegal, and basically it's based on false information. Luckily, what favoured me big time when they crushed my Ferrari, that was in the Dubai main national newspapers in College Times, uh, saying that police have destroyed a Ferrari but whatever the reason was, they said the car should never have been destroyed, even if I was at fault. There was no reason to destroy a car. A car's innocent. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth money. And in Dubai, they all, everyone's a car lover there. Uh, so that favoured me because the papers in Dubai are governed by the, the, basically the, the government in Dubai. It's not like UK. You can just put anything in the papers. They only put facts in the papers in Dubai. So I use that to my advantage. And I put that article and I said, look at the date of the article. And look at the day of my conviction. It's a revenge plot. This yeah. officer, DC Rob Piper, plotted a revenge plot against myself just to justify what he'd done with my Ferrari. And I produced my evidence to say the charges what I was convicted for and the amount what I was convicted for was £85,000. You don't get 10 years for £85,000. It's ridiculous. It's unheard of. I could rob a bank and get less. So when they seen, they justify, they justified everything, looked at the evidence, and they they realised that, you know, I was actually telling the truth. So mm. I, I I won the extradition and they sent the request back to UK. They're saying, we're not going to be extraditing him back. We're going to be releasing him from custody. So I got released from custody and uh, I beat the extradition request, which they failed to put the papers. Papers are unaware of this. I haven't told them. Uh, but the very same day where they said that we've located him and he's going to be extradited back, the very first day I decided to just take a little chill pill and take out, take out my plane and just fly over Dubai. Sure. And that's the day you see me, my video flying over Dubai, uh, myself. Uh, that was the day they so-called claimed they captured me, but they were about six months behind because at that time I'd already come out to Dubai custody and yep. I beat my extradition. Uh, so that was just a little bit of celebration for myself. Although they're saying I was trying to mock, mock the UK law, I, I disagree with that because 
I'm not mocking them. It's me speaking for my rights. If they feel me speaking up for my rights is mocking the law, then let it be. Because I'm not going to be silenced and I'm not going to allow them to, to bully me and bully other people in my situation. When you Absolutely. speak up for the truth, they try to silence you and they try to do me and it never worked. You know, so I'm, I'm very grateful to be in my position and, you know, to Absolutely. do what I've done. And so talk to me about the current state of your fight for justice then. Where are we currently? What's been going on in terms of appeals? You managed to get a case overturned, the Ferrari case. What's you know, going on? House repossessed as well. There's loads of stuff. Don't forget, every day has been a challenge. When you're on the run, you're, I'm living as a refugee in another country. But, you know, with, I'm so blessed to have certain friends around me and certain people who my circle is very close but I've got some really, really good friends around me and some are in Dubai and some are in the UK. I don't want to mention no names, but these people know who they are. And I sincerely, you know, appreciate your presence in my life because you guys have been there, my backbone of who I've become in these past four or five years. Because I've seen a lot of people turn their numbers off on me thinking, he's finished. He's got 14 years in jail. You know, he's never going to come back out of this. He's, he's a dead man walking. Right? And a lot of people, when they realise they can't benefit from you no more, distance themselves. But little did they know, I grew and grew and grew in the last four and a half, five years. From where I was, I'm fucking up there. And, you know, this is, first of all, you know, I got to appreciate the blessings come from the one above. I'm a strong believer in my faith. So everything that happens, what I've done and who my friends are has been a blessing because God's wanted me to meet certain people. God wanted me to be where I am. God wanted me to be in this interview with yourself. You know, so everything comes from God. And I'm a strong believer in that, you know. But my journey has not been easy. But I've shined like a diamond because of the people around me. Because, you know, diamonds are formed under pressure. And that's one thing I work at, under pressure. I work at my best. Uh, that's when people's mindset stops thinking. That's when mine starts working. Uh, and I've been a genius at doing that. And uh, then they, you know, my mindset's been strong. I did not let them break me or fold me. They tried their best, tried to, you know, character assassin me in the papers. They tried to, you know, intimidate my family by gun policemen going to my house. I've got a video where about 22 police officers with guns intimidating my tenants numerous amount of times just so they hurt my pocket, just so they can stop my means of income. So I don't know, so I can't survive. Let me make one thing very, very clear. I've lived my best life in the last five years while I've been away. I've lived better than certain celebrities, not because I financially funded it myself, it's because of the people around me. I can, I can ask for a Bugatti with a click of a finger because of my people around me. You know, if I want a Lamborghini, if I want a supercar, if I, if I want a luxury car, I've got a close brother in, in Dubai who's got a showroom full of these, right? And I recommend if anyone's gonna come to Dubai, Luxury supercars to buy. Contact us, we'll give you any car you want. And my brother who owns it is named Ahmed. He's one of the realest guys you will ever get. You know, at the end of the day, he's been my backbone. You know, he's been there for me. And uh, I, can, I can't I can thank him enough. There's uh, obviously a few brothers in the UK 
uh, that I cannot thank enough. Obviously, whoever watches it, they will know who I'm referring to. Uh, but then they, you know, my journey's not been easy, but I shine like a diamond because of the people around me. I've never been short of any transportation. I've never been short of any accommodation. Everything's been provided to me on the plate, and I can't be as much grateful than I am, you know, because at the end of my difficult journey, people who I expected to be there for me were nowhere to be turned. No, I could not see them. And these new friends who are now I call as family, they've given me everything. You know, I lived a seven-star lifestyle and I did not even have to dig deep in my pockets. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's very clear about the lifestyle you've been living. For anyone who wants to check it out on your Instagram, you've certainly been living that life. Um, but talk to me about, obviously, you've been out in Dubai for four years. Do you want to come back to the UK at any point? Are your children, obviously, in the UK? Are they out there with you? My children are in the UK. And uh, I think the UK has been my, I was born and bred in the UK. Uh, my family's UK. Uh, but am I done with UK? That, that's the main question. Absolutely. How can I trust the UK establishment when all they do is come for you? We we pay tax, we pay council tax. We you know we are taxpayers. We've been paying hundreds of thousands. You know we've been putting back in the community. We get tenants and we house them. We bring homeless people and we house homeless people. We give substantial amounts to the UK charities, and then we get treated this way. It's unacceptable. I will not accept it. The government and the establishment. Right in the UK, it's it's very one-sided. If you speak up for the truth, you'll get silenced, just the way they done to me and many others. So at the end of the day, why would I want to put my eggs in, in a basket that's not safe? At yep. the end of the day, we're not safe in the UK. They will not allow you to basically succeed. If you're a successful man, you're going to become a target. And a lot of the people are scared to speak against the establishment and certain rotten apples because what happens? If there's a corruption, uh, two people out of the 10 people are basically corrupt. The other eight people will put a blind eye to it because they don't have to speak up. It might affect their career. So when they put a blind eye to it, it makes them just as bad as the two corrupt rotten apples. So I think that when there's people like myself who are going to speak up against them and speak against the, against the establishment, you get silenced. So why would you want to be in a country right, where you don't feel safe? I'd rather, be, I'd rather live in a country like Dubai where I know I'm safe. Yes, the, the, the certain rules that are strict, but you don't mind following them rules because you know, you're being protected by the government and you've been given your rights as a human. In the UK, you're not given your rights. You're not protected. You become a target. Police who are supposed to be there to protect you, they become your enemies. And they start targeting you and they become a certain grudges and vendettas against you and your families. So why would I want my children to grow up in a, in a place like that where you feel unsafe? The immigrants have got more protection and more rights than us British citizens in our own country. Yep. Perfect, exam perfect example now. A foreigner has come become a leader in, in the United Kingdom. I got nothing against uh, Rishi Sunak. I got nothing against him. I don't even know the guy, right? You got to give him the credit for what he's accomplished, right? But is it even fair for a foreigner to be United Kingdom president? It's like me saying the local imam for my mosque is going to be the new pope for the church down the road. How is that fair? It's, it's not, is it? So at the end of the day, it's the same thing with us, with the establishment. 
we are silenced and that then I'm not going to be allowed to be stamped all over. I'm going to speak for my rights. If they call this me mocking the UK justice system, they can call it all they like because I'm just speaking my mind and I'm telling them the truth. And that then there's not many people out there who's got the balls to speak the fucking truth. And I have. I'm not going to be locked away in a cell for 15 years whilst my children's going to grow fatherless. I've, I decided to go in the safest country in the world, which is Dubai, and fight for my rights. And you know what? I'm seeing the fruits for it. Like, for example, today, I can officially confirm that the house they had, my house, which they had under a restraining order, which was going to get repossessed, which is all over Daily Mail, saying Mr. Khan's house is going to fucking get repossessed. I can officially say today, I saved my house and managed to transfer the house on a family member's name and it's cash paid at the end of the day. They can't do fucking boo about it. It's not on my name no more. It does not belong to me. They can't take it. I managed to su succeed in that, where the police tried their best taking the house off me, which i rather give it to a family member than the police take it. You know, so I think that I can officially say I accomplished my mission today and I succeeded. It's why this interview didn't take place yesterday. It was took place today because I was waiting for this news to be broken before I can officially tell anybody. And you're one of the first media platform guys who have been notified about this. And it's a big relief. And I thank God firstly for this, because, you know, this house was my family's house. At the end day, you know, it was their backbone. And at the end day, you know, had it been lost and the police had unlawfully taken this house just the way they took my Ferrari off me, it would have been devastating. But Absolutely. I succeeded. And the person who's going to be having sweet dreams today is going to be DC Rob Piper. And I wish him all the best. If he needs any sleeping pills, I can send him some. <laughs> because he's going, to, he's, going to, he's going to need them. And so talk to me about the, you've obviously got justice. That, what about the, the Ferrari? Have you got the 200 grand that you, they owe you yet? The Ferrari? I man, managed, to, managed to be uh, away and been able to speak for my rights. I managed to basically successfully uh, proceed, uh, proceed with my civil case against the police. I've taken them to court. Uh, it's quite impressive when I look at my documents. It's me versus the police. I've taken them to court. Normally, it's the defendant versus is it the rejoiner? Normally, yeah. it's, that's what. It, yeah. Well, now Zaid Khan versus DC Rob Piper, Chief Constable. So it's quite you know interesting to see tables turning. Uh, I've taken them to court, and uh, they made an application for a dismissal which at the end of the day, you know, the Honourable Judge ruled it in my favour. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, not every person, you know, uh, is, is basically a rotten apple. There's some people out there that are good within the establishment and do treat you fairly. And in this situation, I had absolutely that. I'm very grateful for the judge I had. Uh, it was a she, and she basically looked at the case thoroughly and uh, she favoured it in my favour where the police were making an application to dismiss my case saying it's a bogus application. The car didn't belong to me. I wasn't insured on the car and the car wasn't road legal and it wasn't road worthy because it was a category B. Uh, we challenged it saying that you're making a premature application without giving disclosure and it should proceed to trial. Why are you avoiding to go to trial and give me the disclosure? The judge ruled in my favor looking at the evidence and confirmed that I was insured on the car. The car did belong to me and I was a rightful owner because it was on the police police PNC records as me being the owner and DVLA records as me being the owner. And she also confirmed from looking at the expert reports that the car was perfectly road legal. 
and there's no reason for the police to do what they did. So she dismissed the application and ordered the police to pay my costs within 21 days, which last Friday I received them. My solicitors received the payment from the chief constable of West Midlands Police after my hearing that they lost, which was, I think, £12,000 or something, whatever it was, which has been paid into my solicitor's account successfully. So they've had a big blow, an embarrassing blow to the chief constable of West Midlands Police, where they paid me last week, which surprisingly the press have not picked it up at the moment. Mm. And uh, they've been ordered to go to trial, but they don't have a leg to stand on in trial. How are they going to go to trial when the judge has already ruled that I was insured on the car? And that's the only argument they've got. So they're kind of snooking now. They're going to make me an offer. They, behind the scenes, they are making me like deals, where, which I'm not going to accept. It's not about the money for me. It's the principle. It's what they put me through, what they put my family through. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's not about the money. I'm going to take you all the way, and I'm going to make sure the officer in charge gets disciplined, and he gets the treatment what he deserves. Of course. Well, I pray that comes. And um, most importantly, what about the getting the fraud conviction overturned. How could you go about that? So obviously I'm guessing you must have had the appeal a few months after. That went the wrong way. Did you go to, is there? What no, 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 nothing at all, not nothing. What happened, when I, when I absconded, well, as, as you call absconded, I say I was basically kidnapped and wrongfully imprisoned for the four weeks because that's kidnapped. If you're, if you're not consenting and giving anyone permission to lock you up, then that's kidnapped. You have not consented, I've not agreed for them to remind me into custody and then four weeks later allow me out saying they made a mistake. Was I lost four weeks unrepresented without no case papers, damage has done, my friend. Yep. What you how you expect me to basically uh, you know fairly represent myself before a jury? Oh, it was blamed to the jury was going to convict me based on the information that was provided to them, and I was basically given no information to support or defend myself. All right, other than saying you can just tell, speak what you can from memory. So, Zaid, I know what it must be like. You're fighting a losing battle in a trial anyway with the best lawyers and best silks ever. So yes. not having any of that, not having any paperwork, you are literally done, especially if you're not super experienced in the court systems, which you weren't because you hadn't been for a life of crime or anything like this. You know, you're a legit businessman. Anybody would have done what I've done. Anybody would have basically escaped for their life, ran for their life. That's exactly what I've done. You know, it just happened to be when I've been in Dubai, I've mingled with the best names out there, which we'll get down to in a bit, right? But the biggest names out there, and that just happened to be my luck. But that doesn't mean that I was there under a palm tree with them, like, you know, a mojito in my hand every single day. You know, I was basically blood, sweat, and tears, sleepless nights. I know what I had to go through. I know the panic attacks. I had anxiety. I went through. I, I can imagine you had. Yeah. It's a very tough time being away from your family of all these worries on your head not away from your businesses they're trying to take everything you've worked for all these years and your life they try so i can understand they tried to break me they tried to break me look at me i look the best ever i were not gonna allow them to sit and break me but then they you know my mindset was so strong that i i challenged every every challenge i had face to face and yeah. whichever challenge i come across I adapted to my problem instantly. And I you know I become the problem. And then I thought, I'm going to challenge this. How am I going to challenge this? There's two ways about it. Either lie in bed and cry and sob about it and rely on somebody else to come pick me up or either get up 
and say, you know, what, I'm going to go through a brick wall. I'm going to go through whatever obstacles are coming. And that's, I refuse to give up at the end of the day because when somebody is not in the wrong, you're not, you're going to have a voice. You're not going to be basic. You're not going to, you're not, you're not going to let no one intimidate me. I weren't yeah. going to allow it. So I've I done what I, 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 any genuine, natural person's instinct would allow them to do. Well, I haven't got that option because they've taken my passport, unfortunately. But uh... <laughs> my friend, I told you, you, the main key and the root of the problem is your solicitors. Of if your solicitors is not on your side, you're on a losing battle because you have to then fight your solicitors, then fight your other people and well, fight that... your case. In my situation, when I was basically in that, I knocked many doors. I went to several solicitors. I went to solicitors who I knew, right? And they basically, because they knew they couldn't financially tax me. That's the words I'll put it in. Because they knew I was too smart. They yep. knew they couldn't take me for a ride. So they tried to avoid doing my case. I had close people close to me who were solicitors and barristers who could have helped me. They decided not to because it was not financially viable to them, right? They weren't making a killing, right? So they didn't want to do it, right? So, you know, whilst I was on, I, I went to so many, several people months and months, months went to a year, year went to two, right? And I had no, no, no luck. And whichever one I went to, they just basically wouldn't want to look into your detail of my case. Just remember the best person in your case and the most knowledgeable person is yourself. You're the best QC. You're the best barrister and the best lawyer. If you blindly rely on your solicitor, mate, you're a dead man walking, they will fuck you up. I'm telling you this from experience. And I'm telling everybody watching this, do not rely on your solicitor or your and barrister. 100% corroborate what you're saying. So I had it where I found hundreds of mistakes that the barristers and solicitors never made. Not making any fault towards them. The solicitor did a good Mate, job. The barrister could have done better. They're going to look hundreds. at your document. They're going to scan. Mate, I've got, exactly. I've got one twice the size of that just next to me. It's crazy. Mate, this, 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 is, my, this is my Netflix screenplay. Talk to us about that. Talk to us about that. Let's tell you a bit out of time. So basically, they're going to scan read your documents and just look at the points and they'll say, you ain't got a leg to stand on, my friend. I went through my documents page by page. I got videos and photographic evidence of me sleeping on my bed at five o'clock in the morning, exhausted, thinking, you know, what have I been putting and how am I going to get out of this? And I knew it's only myself that can help me get out of this situation. My appeal now has been submitted. I've got one of the best legal teams in the country because I went through so many and I knew where they're coming at. Everyone was after this. I come across a legal team through a recommendation of a friend of a friend, right? And I managed to basically secure one of the best legal teams in the country. And you know what? I've got to give them the credit. They basically, we worked as a team. All of us worked as a team and we have produced one of the best documents. And now that's been in the court of appeal. The judge is currently looking at that. My appeal is one of the biggest miscarriages of justice in the UK history at the moment. And soon we're gonna hear the news at the end of the day. And I am very confident that any honorable judge that looks at my document, my document has been prepared by a highly reputable counsel, right? And at the end of the day, he has said in his 35 year career, he has not seen anything like this. And his word means a lot because at the end of the day, it's a normal appeal is like four or five pages. Mine's, I think, like 65 pages or something like that. It's ridiculous, outrageous with the information that's in my appeal, which is agreed facts. There's nothing on, based on assumptions. 
and my appeal is now in the court of appeal and I'm just waiting for a decision to be made. It can, I can get a decision in a week, two weeks. It's pending in the next couple of weeks, guaranteed. I'm going to get an answer. And uh, I'm very confident that if any respectable, honourable judge looks at that, they're going to be, they're going to be shocked with what they see. And no doubt they're going to rule in my favour. Uh, I've got that, on, uh, that, that pending and I've got my appeal on the go and my civil case where the police had a big blow. And most importantly, they've just made a huge payment to myself, right? Which is a massive blow to them, an embarrassing blow as well. Because a guy who's apparently wanted for a custodial sentence of 14 years in total, right? And they want pucker off me, which 114,000 pound of me. And in return, I've sued them and I've fucking taken money off them. Fucking how embarrassing is that? Does that not just show that whose case is stronger? Yeah. Slowly, slowly getting together. And today I managed to save my house, right? Uh, with all credit given to the legal team involved in my uh, uh, transfer of my property onto my family member's name. And, the, you know, I've, I personally want to say a big shout out. This is specifically very, very important because this played a crucial part. If anybody wants to use any solicitor's firm, right, in conveyancing solicitors, the best solicitor's firm that I've come across and my basic family member has used uh, in basically saving my property and transferring it onto my basic family's name, it's a, it's a firm called Jacobs Law Firm based in Birmingham in, in, on Soho Road. That was one of the best firms I've, had, I've done any dealings with in many years. The person who I specifically dealt with there, I'm a basic family member dealt with, was a person called Anas Safia. He updated us in every little movement on a daily basis and kept it very professional. I know, respect to the, respect to the firm. You know, at the end of the day, I could have not done it without a legal team on board like that because my family members who use that, that firm of solicitors to the conveyance and to transfer the property successfully on their name, they played a huge impact. I had another solicitors firm based in Manchester, which was Tucker's. Uh, I personally basically know the, one of the partners in there and the guy again played a fantastic, fantastic role in saving my property. And you know, at the end of the day, all credit on given to these guys. And if anybody wants any assistance, in any 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 legal formalities or anything, I can guide them to the right track. I can guide them to who to basically approach. I can guide them to who to basically who not to use. There's certain solicitors I don't want to basically say here on here because I don't want to give them the publicity. But there's a lot of solicitors that I will never even really send a dead sheep in, right? Because they'll fucking slaughter even a dead sheep. You know that's how bad they are. But then they, you know, I'm on a winning road, my friend. I've come a long way. And at the end of the day, I can't be no great, I can't be any grateful for a position I'm in currently. At the end of the day, I've had a difficult time, but I've, I've used this negativity into a positive situation and uh, I've made the best out of it. And at the end of the day, I made a movie out of it, my friend. And when I say a movie, I fucking mean it. Here's a screenplay of Netflix, right? It's 110 pages, right? Uh, and this is start to finish of the day I have uh, basically left UK. And... Uh, basically went into Dubai and my custody period in Dubai and UK, everything is going to be documented into a documentary. And I made a movie out of my life. So when I said to everybody, I'm going to make a movie out of my situation, I fucking meant it. And here it is today. I'm in progress, work in progress. So watch this space. 
at the end of the day, you know, it's it's your mindset, my friend. It's what you basically gonna willing to accept and how you handle. Everyone has problems. I've had many problems. Even in my five years I've been in Dubai, I've had problems. It's how you handle a problem. What makes you a man? Changing diapers and nappies at home does not make you a man. At the end of the day, you know, it's helpful to do that. But on the other side, the flip side of it, when shit hits the fan, how you handle your problems is what makes you a real man. Because there's not many people out there that can handle a problem or handle pressure. And just remember, diamonds are formed under pressure. So at the end of the day, you know, that's how I put myself and that's how I always been for a long, long time. And I say this to everybody, do the same. You know, never, ever settle for any less than what you're worth. No, absolutely. Well, I'd like to congratulate you on your determination going through these tough times, away from your family, in a foreign country. And, um, yeah, I'd like to really congratulate you of your persistence to still fighting for justice all these Thank years. Um, incredible. So, um, yeah, well Thank done on that. Appreciate. And um, hopefully you sound like you're close to the finish line. Hopefully you can get Thank these you. things over the line and then come back to be with your family. I, I definitely will come back. Uh, whether I stay there or not, that's a separate question. But uh, at the moment, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep fighting till my last breath. And if anyone, I, 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 if anyone's in a similar situation, first of all, don't rely on your solicitors. Always put your effort into it and prepare your case and give it to your solicitor and say this is this is my basically template and this yep. is what I want you to do. Give them, give them a task. If they can't fulfill your task, then get rid of them. Always. When you're coming down to solicitors, look at your solicitor. Look at the team of who your solicitors got around them. Look at the look at the clerks they're using. Look at the secretary they use. Look at the barrister they use. Are they using a rejected, dated barrister that's been in practice for 50 years, and he's come to his end of time. He's 70 something years old, right? And he's bloody just in for the last bit of bread. He's making a bit of crumbs, right? Are they using a, a proper, experienced, young, active barrister? Or are they using a dated guy who's done his last couple of lifelines? So at the end of the day, all these are things to take into consideration before instructing any legal firm. There's some legal firms that are really, really good out there. But there's some out there, they're just in for the financial gains. And it's a doggy dog world. A lot of the people are doing exactly that. So, you know, a lot of the people don't realize, they think I've got a solicitor, solicitor because he's a friend of a friend or he's my family. But yep. mate, then in this field, there's no family and there's no friends. They will fuck you, mate. If they if they take a big case and they got basically a big paycheck coming, they're never gonna let you win your case in the police station when they can make two hundred thousand pound in trial. Why are they gonna settle for five thousand pound in the police station when, on the other hand, they can take it to trial and make two hundred thousand pound? So ask yourself. This is common sense. What, are they really going to side with you and get your case dismissed? I've had lots of friends that say, oh, we've had a, we've had a result. We've just dismissed a basically a driving matter. That does not make your solicitor a good solicitor if he's dismissed a driving matter. Because driving matter, they're getting pennies. What, what's a real challenge is when a solicitor's firm has got a multi-handed fraud case or a murder case or a drug conspiracy case where they're going to make £250,000 in trial, and they dismissed that case in the police station where they've accepted £5,000 as the fees. Yep. That's when I say that firm of solicitors is a genuine and an honest and a re reputable 
firm, but you're not going to get one of them unless you speak up and be in control of your case and you've got every right to do so. No, of course. They're good teams, few and far between. Um, but I think, uh, so we've come to about an hour mark now. So I think there's probably best leave it right now where we are at. And I think we should come back and do a live in a few days' time. And then people can put any questions in the comments below this. And any... Live's always better, my friend. Cause it, yeah, I, I agree with live. Live's always better because you've got multi-different people giving you different questions. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, that's always the best. Perfect. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, you get put on the spot at certain certain points. Some people want to be cocky with you. So it is quite a tasty interview and I'm up, I'm up for that. Perfect. So, guys, what we're going to do, the live in a few days' time, anyone who can't be present during the live, write their questions in the comments and I'll ask them, um, aside from anyone else on the time. But um, where can people reach out to you as well on social media, Zaid? My Instagram is izahid1986. That's I-Z-A-H-I-D. You can probably tag it, 1986. You can probably tag it in there. It'll all be in the description, guys. Yeah, they can reach me out on Instagram. Uh, I have got Facebook. I'm tending to come off Facebook now. I use my Instagram more. And uh, if they need any advice of basically they're in a similar situation, feel free to reach out. I'm willing to help anybody because I'm I'm on a challenge not to just protect and save myself. I want to save everybody around me who are in a similar situation. I can tell you how to conduct your appeal. I'll tell you what points to look for. If your barrister has told you you don't have an appeal, it's fucking bullshit. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I was told by many other people, oh, you know, you don't have this chance and you don't have that chance. Now, after my case has been conducted and produced to the court, I've been told it's one of the strongest miscarriage of justice. And it's ridiculous from being told it's, it's nothing to the best, right? Yeah. It's because the input I put in there. So guys, never give up. Always, always hold your position strong because you know your case better than anybody else. Of course, you need to make sure you do if you don't. So, um, but yeah. It's a similar but, situation, my friend. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So I can fully relate to everything you've been saying. But... Um, Zaid, I'd like to really thank you for your time this evening and I really look forward to doing the part two in a few days' time. And, uh, yeah, again, Definitely congratulations on your fight. Thank you very much. And speak soon. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Be relaxed. Respect.